the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Each week, we bring you in-depth conversations with some of the biggest names in filmmaking. It's March 23rd, 2016. I'm Michael Odemark, one of the show's producers. This week, we're sharing a conversation with acclaimed actor and director, Melville Poupeau, who recently joined us as part of this year's Rendezvous with French Cinema Festival. In a talk moderated by our director of programming, Dennis Lim, Poupeau discussed his latest role in The Greatest Game, which had its U.S. premiere during the festival, as well as his experiences working with iconic directors like Raoul Ruiz, Eric Romer, Francois Ozon, and Xavier Dolan. The conversation comes from our ongoing series of free talks, which are sponsored by HBO. Up next, on March 24th, we'll have renowned photographer Gregory Crutzen discussing his new exhibit and book, Cathedral of the Pines. Check out filmlink.org free for more information about all our free events. Now let's go to Melville Poupeau in conversation with Dennis Lim. Join us in celebrating the remarkable career of Morgan Freeman at the 43rd Annual Chaplin Award Gala on Monday, April 25th. Freeman will be honored by his friends and collaborators, including Helen Mirren, Danny Glover, Robert De Niro, and Matthew Broderick. The annual gala is the Film Society of Lincoln Center's largest fundraising event, helping to support our ongoing work in education, artist development, and cross-cultural film outreach. Tickets to the star-studded event are now on sale. Visit filmlink.org gala for more information. Let's just start with um, the film that you're here with, uh, The Great Game, um, in case people haven't seen it. Um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, about the film, uh, what drew you to this part. Um, Nicola is a first-time uh, feature filmmaker. Did you know him before? Yeah, I knew him, him because he was a film critic in France, <coughs> and uh, we did an interview maybe 15 years ago, and... Uh, I appreciated his knowledge in cinema, he's a great cinephile, and he's been working with an important Frenchman who is involved in cinema but is not well known at all by the public. His name is uh, Pierre Rissian, I'm sure some of them, some of, some of you know about him. So uh, Nicolas has been his secretary for a while, and um, I was a bit fascinated by his knowledge about movies and uh, all his references. So when he came back to offer me this part in The Great Game, I, uh, I saw all the, um, the references in movies that he made in his, that he put in his film, from uh, Valerio Zurlini, uh, Il, The right. Professor, I don't know what's right. the title in English, to uh, some English thrillers and uh, some Eric Romer bits. Right because there are many uh, very long dialogue scene in that film. Some, it's a thriller, but uh, during the course of the movie, you, there are some scenes where you forget about the plot, and it's just a uh, character talking about themselves, about them f- their feelings, about their uh, readings. So this is pretty much like some Romeo, at least some tale that I right. did a few years ago. So yeah, there was many uh, elements that I, I loved in the, in the film. Um, what is it? What is it like working with a, a first-time filmmaker? I assume it changes from person to person, but um. it's always different. Uh, in that case, uh, I think uh, Nicola was very well prepared. He had a good crew, especially the the DP. Yeah. For me, is a very important uh, 
partner in a on the set, the DP, and I and I enjoy working with this DP. Then uh, I think he's been writing the script for five years before we started shooting, so he was he knew exactly what he wanted. He has chosen very good actors, André Dussolier, sure. with whom I've never been working, but uh, who is a fantastic French actor, very professional. And I felt from the start that he was very well prepared, and he wanted to act. He wanted to get into those very long scenes. It was like sometimes like uh, not sport, but yeah, so a little bit like tennis, you know, because. Uh, those dialogues are very much like um, dialectic. Uh, dialectic. Dialectic, yeah. So from the first replica, I knew that he was into it. He looked at me right in the eye, and I, he was really listening to me. Sometimes when I act, I don't think. I'm in another space. And this time, he pulled me, he grounded me in a way, because he really was into the words, into the meaning of what he was saying. So it, he kept me... He kept my attention, so I think that was part of the success of the movie, in a way, that we are really talking to each other. Yeah. I'm curious to hear you say more about this relationship between the actor and the and the cinematographer. What is that? You know, what is that? Because I think about? he's the first um, audience as an actor on set. He's the one who looks in the, into the camera and he sees you better than anyone else on set. So it's important that he uh, likes your work. That he's cautious about your physical appearance but also about your acting so uh, after a take when he when the take is over it's the first one you look at to see if he was happy first technically and then if he felt something through the lens. so through the lens so yeah it's like a support very important support um I thought maybe we could go back to the the beginning of your career, which actually was um, at this point now thirty something years ago, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is uh, a little crazy to think about. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so you started. Uh, you were age nine, I believe, right? When yes. Raul Ruiz asked you to appear in City of Pirates. He asked my mother, basically, but um, he asked your mother if you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, Raul always says that yeah. to cast a child, you first have to cast the parents. Right. Can you tell us how that how that came about? Your mother worked in in, in cinema. Yes, she was a PR. She all this is thanks to my mother because if I mean I don't think I would have been an actor without my mother, without Raoul. But uh, my uh, inner self is not uh, an actor. I think right. it's something that happened to me. But if it didn't happen like that by chance, I would never have the vocation to become an actor. So. Um, she was working with Raoul Ruiz. She's always she's been a PR. She's always been working with authors. She uh, worked with Marguerite Duras, being a PR for the movies she directed in the 70s. Then she worked with uh, Wim Wenders and Benoit Jaco for their first films. And she worked with Raoul Ruiz in the beginning of the 80s. And one day, um, I went to this kind of event with my mother and Raoul was talking and the story that Raoul tells is that everybody falls asleep, fell asleep while he was talking, some crazy stories as usual and I was the only one who stayed uh, awake. awake. So at the end he was talking to me and he said do you want to come with me and make a movie on an island in Portugal and I said yes <laughs> and uh, so that's how it started. Then I met the producer, famous Paolo Branco, who gave me money, cash money by that time, <laughs> which meant a lot to me because I could buy all the 
toys I could and I bought a video camera with that money so I was a rich kid and then I I, I ended up in on that small island in Portugal surrounded by adults I was all by myself because my mother stayed in Paris and it was like a, like a dream uh, like a fantasy hopefully it was not like a nightmare even though it could have been some kind of a nightmare because I was I didn't understood what I was doing there was no script and I had to uh, kill some people during the movie you know cut throat and do all that kind of evil stuff which I liked actually <laughs> as a child it was a pretty much like a game then the movie came out and nobody saw that film when it came out. The only kid that saw the movie, my best friend, went to see the film and said it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I was... Uh, you yeah. saw it? You s I assume you saw it when it came yeah, out? Yeah, I saw it. I didn't know what to think about it. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be a child movie like a Disney yeah. pirate. The movie was called The City of Pirates. Right. <laughs> so I would imagine like some kind of uh, pirate movie. And it was not at all a pirate movie. I played a ghost that comes back every 10 years to kill all his family. And it's like a evil Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. And uh, Raoul Ruiz told me that I was uh, Pinocchio and Pinochet at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so he got me into this dreamy world, uh, which I really enjoyed. And when I get back to school, uh, everyth everything was boring and the kids seemed uh, stupid. And so I bought a video camera and I started making my own films in my child room right. and to, you to connect to this world. And you continued working with Raoul. Um, I think you were in a few more of his films around that time in the 80s. Treasure Island, obviously. Um, Absolutely, a key, yeah. a key film, I think, of his. Um, do you remember much about, about that? That was the most crazy shoot. Yeah. It was produced by uh, Golam and Globus. Yes. <laughs> who thought that uh, Treasure Island would be like a child movie. They, were, l they right. were like me, basically. But when they saw the dailies, they understood that it wouldn't be like exactly the average uh, <laughs> child movie. But the movie included Martin Landau mm -hmm. and a famous actor by that time called Vic Tayback, right. who was a TV actor. But there was also Jean-Pierre Léo, Anna Karina, Lou Castel, and Sheila, a French uh, singer, pop singer. And the shoot, so we started with a lot of money because Paolo Branco got a lot of money from uh, Golem and Globus. But when they saw the dailies, they stopped giving money. So we ended up with no money at all. So all the, the scenes that should have <laughs> taken place on a sailboat, we finally did it on a little wooden boat. And there was no more money to pay the hotel for the rest of the crew. And we ended up filming in the garden of the hotel. Right. <laughs> but. Raoul was very depressed because of that situation and also because there was so many trouble. Jean-Pierre Léo tried to kill somebody on the set and Raoul was <laughs> caught by the, by the, at the border because he didn't have his paper. He was still a refugee from Chile by that time. So it was very complicated shoot. And for many years, he didn't like that film. He didn't, didn't want to see that film. But j right before he died, he told me, I. Reconcilier, comment tu dis? I reconciled myself. I reconciled myself with that movie. And I haven't seen it since then. The last news I had from that movie is uh, because it was published on VHS mm -hmm. in the 90s by a pedophile uh, distributor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
<laughs> I don't know why. I, I wonder why. Yes, there's a scene where they beat me up, so maybe that was uh, important for this game. <laughs> so it was around this time, you must have been, what, 10, 12, or you started? I you was 13 for 13, this one. okay. And so you were, you had, you bought a video camera, you were shooting, um, what were you shooting? I know you've shown some of the, your, these sort of like diary style short work? That no, it actually it was like short movies, fiction. I did some, uh, when I was uh, like nine or 10, I did some, uh, I was obsessed with film noir. So it's film noir and I play all the character, the bad guy, the good guy, and I would put the camera and say my line, improvise, hours of improvisation, then go down, then re-emerge on the other side and play the good guy and then the bad guy and the woman. and. Uh, so it was really like playing with toys, but the, my toy was the camera. I couldn't edit, so the, uh, the movies are sometimes uh, two hours long. It's quite boring, but uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. The thing is that all my friends by that time, they didn't know about cinema. They, had, they didn't have that experience, so I couldn't play to make movies with them, so I had only myself to play with. And uh, I did some science fiction films. I did a remake of uh, The Fly. But uh, the idea was that the guy uh, didn't realize he was changing. He was in denial. And then all kind of films. And I, st I kept on doing those films. Because I started in my child room because my uh, camera by that time was not a camiscope. I had to be linked to my mother's uh, VHS. Mm. So I could only film in my child room. And since then, every time I'm shooting a movie as an actor, I bring a camera and I'm inspired by those hotel rooms. It's like getting to start all over again with that uh, strange uh, ambience. Do you still have these films? That you yes, they were shown for the first time in an art gallery in Paris. Six movies from yeah. different periods and then it was published on DVD by MK2 and my friend Charles Demeau uh, for Anna mm -hmm. Sanders movies. Right. I think you still can find the DVD someplace. And I did another one which was longer, that was in uh, Director's Fortnite in 2006, right. which was called Melville, but it's three movies. And it's basically it's the same thing I keep on doing since I, I was nine. Right. Um, to come back to uh, Ruiz, uh, I'd love to hear you, you talk about your relationship with him, which spanned, obviously, some 30 years. You. Uh, started with City of Pirates, but you were also in one of his very last films, Mysteries of Lisbon, and you had worked with him pretty consistently. Um, and you know, starting as a child and learning about cinema and growing as a person, as an actor, and having him as a constant in your in your life and your career. Yes, I must say, uh, with Raúl Ruiz, there is some kind of a phenomenon that you wouldn't get what he was saying when you were with him but you would only get it few years later. And it still happens since he's dead. I think people understand his movies and his ideas about cinema now that he's dead more than when he was alive. So when I was filming with him, most of the time I didn't get the part, I didn't understand the situation, I didn't understand why he would be filming like this instead of like this. I'm still an actor, you know? But uh, now I, I start to realize how lucky I was to work with him and how deep his influence is still on my vision about cinema, but not only about cinema. He was more political in a aesthetic way than just a director. And for instance, the book he wrote when he was a teacher in Harvard, 
at the beginning of the 90s are still very important for me. I read them and I understand them more and more and it's his vision, poetical, but mostly political, finally, that matters more and more into my, to my mind. Right. You've read his book? Poetics of Cinema? Yeah. Uh, I've read excerpts of it. Yeah. It's translated in American yeah. and it's yeah. very important, I think, to read it, especially nowadays because he was very visionary, yeah. especially on the narrative theory mm -hmm. that is now um, so important in those TV shows and all around the world. Right. And uh, he had a very interesting theory about that, um, right. that ways of controlling inspiration and like the weapon. Mm -hmm. Well, the uh, the Cinemasac in Paris is preparing this uh, very large Ruiz retrospective. I think starting in a few weeks, um, and I I gather that you'll be you'll be involved in discussions. Yeah, and presenting I must, uh, as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad to say that we'll we are going to be doing a smaller version of that here later this year, and, and hopefully we can get get you back to tell more sure with pleasure more stories about uh, about Raúl. Um, before we move to uh, on to like. Uh, your more recent career, I wanted to ask you because of um, your your mother's job, and uh, w were you exposed to a lot of other filmmakers and artists as a child? And were there any other you know figures who were very who were important for you? Yeah, I was lucky. It's a bit snobbish to say it, but my mother was among a bunch of uh, intellectual yeah. and hard rockers too. So she was very curious about music and cinema, and um, it was a special era, late seventies maybe a lot of drugs involved in it, but it seemed like a big fiesta for me as a child right. with uh, weird uh, characters, but uh, with very uh, fascinating ones too. She was working with Marguerite Duras, uh, who I knew when I was a kid, and we used to go to her uh, country house, and she would talk to me. I would not understand what she was saying, but it was still, I could have the feeling that, and they would make movies by that time in that crazy house, that she had, and she would make movies like home movies, but the friends would be Jeanne Moreau and Depardieu and Bruno Nuiten, the, the right. DP. Yeah. But I could feel that they were having a lot of fun and that making movies was very easy, no money involved, just inspiration and having good times, making spaghettis for, every, for all the crew. So it was uh, this idea of, uh, yes, having fun and then she was friend with uh, Jacques Lacan and all those uh, intellect French intellectuals. But I would prefer when she was friends with uh, the drummer of a French hard, hard rock band. <laughs> Actually, I have a brother four years older than me and he's a musician now. But when we were kids, we were more into rock and roll than uh, psycho, psycho uh, psychoanalysis. So from uh, Ruiz to, I guess, other, f other filmmakers, who, who was the, what was your first non-Ruiz uh, film? Was it with Jacques Doyon or? Yes, when I was 15, I did a movie with Jacques Doyon yeah. called um, La Fille de 15 ans. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that was very different from, from my experience with Raoul yeah. because Jacques Doyon, the script was uh, written. You mm -hmm. couldn't change the word. He was very, very precise. Right. He would make like 30 takes. And he's in that film too, right? Yes, he's yeah. acting yeah. in the, that's maybe not the best thing he ever did, but uh, he decided to take on the part. Yeah. Uh, and it was like a professional crew and, um, and especially this idea of making many, many takes. I didn't experience that with Raoul. Mm -hmm. Raoul, we would do many, many uh, shots in a day, right. like 80 shots a day sometimes. 
to, to beat the record of uh, <laughs> Orson Welles sometimes. But with uh, Doyon, it was the same, the same scene over and over again, and intense scene. Because the story of this movie is uh, I'm going on holidays with my girlfriend and my father, and my father steals my girlfriend from me. I'm not sure I understood that when I did the movie, but uh, <laughs> it, it was painful to play. And uh, so there was intense scene when I was crying and being in a big drama. And he said, okay, but we do it again. And I wouldn't understand why he would have me redoing it. And when I saw the movie, I understood that he took the first take. <laughs> so <laughs> I really didn't get it. But uh, I was happy because at the end of the day, I was very tired and I succeeded in crying so many times. So I thought, okay, maybe that's what they call acting, or at least this kind of directors. Nowadays, Jacques Doyon is not such a big director as he was by that time. But it was, uh, it was hard work. Um, can you tell us about um, Eric Romain? Um, a Summer's Tale, I think, is a film that uh, many people know, and it was actually, re I think, released theatrically for the first time here not that long ago, because it had played a lot, but did not get an open. Yeah, two National years ago. It two was years ago, and it was a really huge uh, success uh, in you know for for an art film. Uh, I think two summers ago. Um, yeah, I think so. So can you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what did Romer mean to, to you at, at, at the time and what was it like working with him? Actually, I had seen a lot of his films and I didn't really like them, especially the, the guys in these movies. Uh -huh. I thought they were a bit uh, plain and um, I felt that he was more interested in two girls. And the guy would be a bit uh, stupid, from my point of view. So when, uh, actually it's Ariel Dombal, one of the Romer Muse, that um, told me after a Raoul Ruiz movie in which we appeared together, she said, oh, I know, I have a friend, Eric Romer, who is looking for a boy for his next film, but the boy needs to be a musician. And she knew I play guitar, so uh, she thought that it would be a good match. So I met Eric Romer, and um, it was very impressive because it was in that building, uh, Avenue Pierre Premier de Serbie. And on the buzzer, you had Jean-Luc Godard at the fifth floor, and Barbet Schroeder at the fourth floor, and Eric Romer at the third floor. So it was like a big uh, Gotham City for a new wave, you know. I was very impressed. And it was his little, uh, his now famous little uh, bureau with all his boxes all around, uh, his little biscuit, biscuits. His office. His office, the biscuits, the biscuit. B biscuits. Yes, biscuits, Cookies. tea, and very artisanal kind of um, idea of cinema, I mean. So um, we had an interview. He wouldn't look me in the eye for one hour. He was like this. I, I thought he was very scared. I was a bit too, but after a while I didn't understood what he wanted from me. And sometimes he would look at me in the eye with very powerful blue iron eyes, and I would understand that I said something that he liked. So I, I was, I was uh, impressed and happy at the same time. And I played a little bit of guitar, he played a little bit of piano. He was a composer, he, he composed the song that uh, we sing in uh, Summer Tale. He was very, he was very much into music. And that's how it started. Then I went to his office a few times, and he was scared that I couldn't be able to speak loud enough because the movie was shot on the beach, mm -hmm. and he wouldn't use um, Microphone. microphones. 
So I had to speak loud because he wanted his text to be uh, honored in a way. So he went to his kitchen, he put the radio on and he yelled, uh, can you say the text, Melville, from the other room? So I had to speak very loud and I convinced him like that. And then uh, I was a bit scared at first because uh, I didn't like his male character in his films. But then when I read the script, I thought it was so well written. It was almost like a play. Every line was linked to another line yeah. from a previous scene and that um, there was a lot of uh, under text going on. Sure. It's one of his best male characters, I think. It was one yeah. of the most interesting male characters. Yeah, I thought so because yeah. when I talked to him, I understood that a lot of what Gaspar, my character, is mm -hmm. saying in the movie are things that Romer thought okay. in real life. Right. It's really like... Uh, did he acknowledge that or did you... He wouldn't speak like that. No. He was very uh, shy and very... Um, he was not like Jacques Doyon at all, you know. It was only one take right. and no psychology. He was yeah. just trustful. When at, at one point when he chooses you, he would be trusting. Right. And uh, it was only one take. And But it was a very family-like feeling for that movie. Only six people in the team, mm -hmm. all in the same house. He would do the the schedule himself, push the traveling, uh, wake up the, the actors. Uh, we would shoot only two hours a day. He knew exactly about the tide, about the sun, the weather. He had done statistics, so right. that day would be good for that beach. And then the other day we should do that scene. So it was, he was very obsessed and very precise, very artisanal mm -hmm. way of making movies. Um. Jumping ahead a, a bit to, I, I think, what I think is another uh, major role for you is uh, a collaboration with a filmmaker who is more your age, more or less, is uh, Francois Ozon. And in, in, in Time to Leave, you, you mentioned uh, Jean Moreau earlier as somebody you knew from childhood. And obviously, you have uh, some pretty amazing scenes with her in that film. Yeah, actually, I, I find out now that because I began as a child in the 80s, I had a chance to work with Michel Piccoli and yeah. Jean Moreau and even Marcello Mastroianni because mm -hmm. it was still, they were still, it was still their era, you know, so I was, as a child, part of this era. And Jean Moreau was, of course, and she is still very impressive, mm -hmm. very brilliant, and I understood that she had a weird, not a weird career, but... Um, with highlights, of course, and then low down. And but she was still very curious about uh, cinema and very strong on the set, obviously. And I was very impressed. But then she became a friend. So I was lucky to have this connection with her. And concerning Francois Ozon, it's I was impressed by uh, his speed. Mm. He's very um, at ease on set. He, he masters all about the light and the, 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 the he does the framing so he knows uh, he's very quick sometimes i thought maybe it was too quick because uh, we would do only few takes and uh, it, we, we would end up two hours before the schedule sometimes one week before it was uh, supposed to finish the movie but uh, yeah because he was framing that's quite important to me too like i said for the dp we had a very simple and direct uh, relationship mm -hmm. and this movie was important for me because it's the story of this 30 year old guy who dies so it's all this long process towards death and towards uh, uh, reconciliation with himself and the last scenes 
of the movie happens on the same beach as we, where we shot uh, Summer Tale. He wanted that to be shot at in the same location in Normandy, in Brittany, I mean. And uh, it was a weird moment because we stayed one week at the end of the movie and there was no sun and he wanted the, the end to be sunny. Even though I die, he wanted that light and there was no sun. So we stayed one week without shooting and it seemed like uh, ages for me. So I did a movie in my room, in my hotel room with my own camera about this uh, actor about to die, but death doesn't come because the light and everything, you know. <laughs> so, um, and I showed the movie to uh, François Ozon and uh, he was, he did a good compliment. He said, it's better than my film. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was joking, but um, no, but that experience was intense because I had to lose a lot of weight for that film because I'm sick in the movie. So he wanted me to, lo I lost 10 uh, kilos during two months. So I was very exhausted. It was the end of the shoot. I was about to die and everything. So at the end of the film, I felt like almost like a rebirth, you know? And because I turned 30, I thought that I've done this. No, I can become someone else. And this kind of, I was also very, I was starving and, so it came up to my mind, but I mean, sometimes, and I've had the same experience with uh, Xavier Dolan turning into a woman 10 years later. It was the same kind of cycle. Yeah. And I understood that in cinema, uh, when you're an actor, your life is also uh, rhythmed, or guided with some important roles that happens every 10 years. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about uh, Xavier Dolan and Lawrence anyways. Um, another, I think, I agree, very important role uh, for you. Um, your first time working with him, he was, I mean, is young, was even younger at the time. Uh, and your first time working, I guess, in Canada. Uh, I also understand that you had a different role in the film and like you switched to the lead role not that long before the shoot. Yeah, I, I was supposed to have a s very small part in the movie first. Another um, transsexual, actually, that you still see in the movie, a uh, woman that turned into a man. Mm -hmm. It's only one scene. But I was okay to do it because I was curious about uh, Xavier Dolan. I haven't seen his films before, but I only saw this little man once. His energy was jumping around, and I was curious to be part of his um, work. Then another actor was supposed to do the main uh, character. And maybe 10 days before the start of the shoot, Xavier called me from Montreal and said, okay, uh, I'm sorry, it's a bit uh, at the last minute, but would you switch from this small part to the main part? And of course I was very happy because when I first read the script, I, I was kind of jealous for the other actor to have such an incredible part and to have the chance to work with Xavier. And so I was r almost ready. Mm -hmm. And I, I, in fact, I thought that I, it was something kind of magic because my mother directed um, a documentary mm. about the same subject, cross-dressers, actually. So uh, she's fascinated with these characters. So men who, since their childhood, uh, likes to dress up as women, and some of them just do that on the side of their uh, normal life, and some of them go to the operation. Right. And I edited that film that my mother directed. So I knew about the subject. I was familiar with those characters. And when I read the script, I thought it was very truthful to those people. So um, when you offered me the main part, I was, of course, ready to take the plane right away and get shaved and start uh, putting on a dress. And 
And that's what happened because uh, as soon as I came to Montreal, uh, Xavier was very excited to start his film. He had everything in mind. I think if he w had been a bit older, he would have played the part himself. Mm -hmm. So he would do the scenes in front of me and basically he wanted me to copy what he was, right. how he was acting. So maybe that was a bit uh, weird for the other actors because he's so full of energy and he wants to act and he wants to be everybody. He wants to, he edits the movie, he does the costumes, he does the poster, he does the, the PR, le dossier de presse, je sais pas comment on dit. The press release. Yes, the press release. I mean, he's everywhere. Which I can understand because when I was a kid I did those films and I wouldn't understand why somebody else would come into my world and do the poster when I had everything in mind already. So I think it's a new generation thing. Mm -hmm. And I think Xavier is, He's a bit ahead, but it's normal that some guys like this appear nowadays. Very young people that master cinema very early. Anyway, so we started filming and uh, yeah, it was incredible experience. You, you've described many different uh, directors and many different kind of directing styles, you know, like people who are more methodical or like obsessive or more like kind of loose and different speeds and so I, I are you able as an actor, are you happy to just adapt to different working environments, different methods, different demands from your directors? Yeah. Or do you have a, something that you prefer? What I prefer is to have a strong director, someone who knows exactly what he wants. And uh, I find out with time that it's a question of language, of words. And um, a good director for me is the one who finds the right word to talk to the actor, but also to talk to the producer, to the technicians, also to the guy who will give money at, at, the, f at the beginning of the project. So it's a question of uh, words, basically. So I want the director to find the right words. And then uh, more and more, I feel able to give ideas or to propose things which was not the case when I was a kid because everybody was so much older and I felt so little in the, in the middle of this crew that I wouldn't be able to, to ask for another take or to propose something. And now, because I start working with directors that are sometimes even younger than I, so I think I can give more thanks to my experience in cinema. And so it's more enjoyable now. I feel less like a child uh, in the classroom, but more like a collaborator with the directors. Mm -hmm. I have to ask you about one more film before we I open it up to the audience for questions because we were showing it next week. It's uh, Arnaud de Plachan's uh, A Christmas Tale. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing a small retro um, of Arnaud's films before opening his most recent film. Uh, um, and uh, can you talk a bit about that, that, that sort of fitting into this large, it was a large ensemble film uh, and very much a film that sort of, I think, referred to his own universe a little bit. With yeah, always, I think, with yeah. Arnaud de Plachin. Yeah. And uh, with, so, t the process of, you know, sort of fitting yourself into into that. I knew Arnaud for a while. We did some tests when he directed uh, Comment Je Me Suis Disputé. Yeah. But I guess I was too young for the part, so it didn't work at that time. But I knew about his film, I knew Pascal Cocheteux, the producer. So I felt like I was already part of this crowd, you know, of this family. Then Arnaud reminded, I mean, Xavier reminded me a little bit of Arnaud, like someone who, who could do every, um, everything on set. He could do the light, he could do the sound, he could play every part. He's very 
excited and he, he's the first one on set and the last one to leave the set. He's like very much into it, very passionate. Many takes and he talks a lot, even during the takes, like Xavier Dolan does. So it can be disturbing. Xavier is uh, extreme in that sense. But since he edits himself, mm. he has the job to take off his uh, voice on every take. So that takes a long time. Because when you're acting, you hear, no, no, turn right, turn left, uh, say it like this, look at me. He says the line, then you have to repeat exactly like he said, and you have to back to the camera. So uh, because I was there every day, it was okay with me, I get used to it. But if you are on the Xavier Dolan movie only for one day, it's very disturbing to have this little man talking all the time. <laughs> 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 but uh, he's so brilliant that you're very happy to... Right. I mean, you and uh, Arnaud de Bichin is a bit the same. Like uh, rolling on the floor, jumping and uh, shouting, putting the music on set. And uh, I think it's directors that have a lot of pleasure being on set. Mm -hmm. Some directors, you feel that uh, it's more stressful and they can't wait to get into the editing room to, to be alone and with their image. And, uh, but like Arnaud and, uh, and Xavier, they are just enjoying the moment and being among other people having people watching what's happening, involved. So, um, yeah, it was uh, intense. And I'm uh, working with uh, Mathieu Amalric, who is, is one of my favorite actors in France, with whom I've been working. I mean, I did a movie when I was very young, and he was an extra on that film. And I remember on set, I was 19, and he was maybe 22 or something. But you could see this little man at the back of the frame with his big eyes and his face and I thought that who is this guy yeah, he shouldn't be in the same frame you know because you could see only him being just standing walking and <laughs> but you you you, th you felt that he was going to be someone so and acting with Catherine Deneuve also uh, no it was great experience and it was filmed in the um, family house that was very much like Arnaud real family house so yeah it's it was almost like doing a biopic of uh, Arnaud's family. What question am I tired of hearing? <laughs> Recently, I have a lot of questions about Xavier Dolan because he has become such a character. So many people are obsessed with him and fascinated. But I'm still happy to answer because I'm still fascinated with uh, his power and his energy. Um, no, I'm, I'm not. No, no, I'm still okay talking about films and. I'm I'm happy to talk about Raoul Ruiz because as I said before he has become more and more uh, a lot of people are very curious about his work since he died even young people coming to me and they discovered one of his films on TV or and they are curious because they didn't know about him and they discover how many movies he has made with great actors all around the world so I I feel like I'm responsible to to talk about him and to be like a is uh, héritier. His truth. Héritier. Mm. Oh, his, his inheritor. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> what was your favorite film that you were in and why? Um, I really loved doing that first movie, La Ville des Pirates. It stays like a great memory because I was a kid and uh, it was fantastic. Even though when you see the movie, you ask yourself how come uh, they had a child doing those crazy stuff. I think nowadays it wouldn't be possible to to make a movie like this. 
but uh, yeah, it was like a, like an adventure, like a very special moment. Then Eric Romer was incredible too because it was very sweet and very simple and very pleasant to make, no stress. Basically, the, the bad experience I had were linked to the, the stress of the director and the stress of the director is most of the, the, most of the time linked to the stress of the producer and the stress of the producer is linked to the amount of money that uh, they have to produce the movie. So basically, the less money, the better uh, ambience is on the set from my point of view, unless you work with uh, someone like Xavier Dolan who doesn't care about anyone else but, uh, <laughs> but uh, his movie, you know. So, uh, but it's, it's hard. That's a, that's a great, um, I mean, when you're a director, you have to, at one point, you have to be like a general, like a captain or like a dictator almost. And what's important is, th is that moment, even though you make like two hours more work than it's on the schedule you, you shouldn't care about the people complaining shouldn't care about the actor who thinks that it's time to go home it's just it's when it's happening it's true that even thanks to uh, xavier dolan because he's he will never leave the set until he has what he wants for his editing so now i'm a bit disappointed when i make a movie with a director who says okay it's that's enough or let's do something else and you've done only three takes or one take so uh, yeah, I learned that uh, it's the moment when you're doing that scene on that day. It's not like theater, you don't have another chance. So when you're doing that scene, you should, you'd rather make it run until it's, we're sure that we have everything. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.